And that's in John chapter 17. And uh, as most of you know, this is uh, the closing part of the real Lord's Prayer where he has gathered with his uh, followers, his disciples, in the upper room just before he's taken to be crucified. And as he gathers with them there and the meeting is about to come to an end here in chapter 17. And uh, our text is verse number 18, which is a, a verse that I mentioned last week. And I want to remind you of it again. Verse number 18, he says, As thou hast sent me, it's addressing the Father, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so, have I also sent them into the world? Now, a few weeks ago, I mentioned when I was preaching about being Christ-like, uh, I mentioned this verse again then. So it's come up a couple of times just recently. But let me remind you of what I said at that time. I said this verse makes reference to our Lord's mission and it applies to our mission as he is giving these apostles the mission to go on. This applies to us, but there's more to it than that. The late John Stott, a famous theologian, said in regards to this verse, he said, these words are immensely significant. He said, this is not just the version of the Great Commission recorded in John's Gospel. It is also an instruction that their mission in the world was to resemble Christ. The key words are sent into the world. That is, as Christ had to enter our world, so we are to enter other people's world. Do you get that? Are you sure? It's important that you understand what he's saying here. He's saying that this is not just a, a repeat or a takeoff on what we refer to as the Great Commission. It's not John saying, well, here's my version of it. This is entirely different, even though, even though the Great Commission is the commission for the church to go into all of the world and preach the gospel. In this, we see the Great Comparison. And in doing so, he's not just saying that I've sent them into the world, but he's saying I'm sending them into the world like you sent me into the world. And so it's important that we understand that, that as Christians, we are in the world, but we're not of the world. We're a part of God's kingdom now, part of God's family now. But even though we're in the world, we are sent into the world that means that we must not be isolated from it, but rather that we be involved to the extent that we deliver the message, the gospel message that God has given unto us. So we are to saturate the world with the gospel rather than insulating ourselves from it. You know, separation from sin is a good thing. It's a necessary thing. But in separating ourselves from sin does not mean that we are to never have contact with sinners. As Jesus said, then you'd have needs to go out of the world. Or Paul said that, you'd have needs to go out of the world. If you're going to be that holy and that isolated, 
because uh, the world's made up of sinners. Every person is a sinner. You're either lost or you're a sinner that has been saved by the grace of God. And so the Lord says to the Father, just as you sent me into the world, let that sink in. You think of all that he left. The praise of the angels. I mean, we're talking about God himself. Over in chapter number one, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14, he says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. God himself wrapped himself in a robe of flesh, came down to this old sinful earth in order that he might Provide a sacrifice for our sins. Now, before we consider what we ought to do, I want you to think about what Jesus did. You know, I, I, I was a little bit concerned because I've been on this track ever since I got out of the hospital. I've known exactly where, where, what direction I was headed in, that God was pointing me in. I didn't always know what the next message was going to be until a week or two before and just praying and asking God, okay, what comes next? Because it's real easy to get mixed up on that. Because, you know, I've got certain messages. Boy, I'd love to preach this today. And I've never in my 50-some years of preaching, I've never been more sensitive to making sure I'm preaching what God wants me to. The first thought that came to my mind was, if, if I do this, uh, there will be no Christmas message. And as you know, I always preach a message about Christmas until I realized that in that verse, verse 18, that I'd already made reference to a couple of times that that was to be the next step in this process of going in the direction that we're going. Because listen, folks, this is the message of Christmas right here. It speaks about the Father sending the Son. That's why, that's why we refer to Him as Emmanuel, which means God with us. And all of this is made possible by the great conception. And uh, that brought about the fulfillment of the prophecy that was given in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14, where it speaks about a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Isn't that wonderful? People all the time wondering, well, how can you be certain that the Bible is the Word of God? Read it. Just read it. That's all you have to do. There's no book in all of the world that can compare to the Bible. When you take into consideration all of the prophecies that God has given, and then you see them fulfilled, you've got to say that that's something that only God could have done. That the Bible is a book that, you know, is a book that man would not have written if he could, and he could not if he would. Any way you look at it, man could not have written the Bible. It's something that God did. And in the incarnation, we see proof of the fact that God really does care. Let me tell you, there are a lot of folks. A lot of folks are beaten down by their troubles and trials. A lot of folks that are perplexed about their pain and their problems and all of the difficulties that they're going through. And I think most of you would have to say this last couple of years is, well, it's something like we've never seen before. And we're dealing with difficulties that are so, uh, so trying and we're, we're perplexed. And, you know, even Job, although Job did not 
bring accusations against God. Job was certainly confused about the situation that he was in. And no doubt there are people in the hospital. There are people in the cancer ward. There are no doubt some mother in a cancer ward with her little child undergoing chemotherapy because that child has cancer. Or at the, at the cemetery, there may be a, a, a mom and dad that has just lost their... They don't understand. And they begin to wonder, how could this good God be so indifferent to my needs? How could He be so good and yet at the same time allow me to suffer so greatly? Well, I've got an answer for that. And that is you look back to the incarnation. That is... At the very birth of Christ, God incarnate, God coming in the form of a man. Look, God didn't need us. God is sufficient in and of himself. He is the great I am, not the great I was, not the great I am going to be. He's the great I am. He hath need of nothing. And yet out of the great depths of his love, And his wisdom, he looked down through the telescope of time and saw that his creature, man, would fall, would violate his righteous standards and sin against him and be in need of salvation. There was no other solution for that other than for God to say, I'll take care of it myself. And so God wrapped himself in a robe of flesh condescended down to this sinful world, suffered that he might offer himself up as a sacrifice for our sin. No, oh, I could speak for hours about, about Christmas, the Christmas story. But this morning, I want us to shift our focus now to the comparison here of our commission with that of Christ. And notice again what he said, even so... Have I also sent them into the world? You see, for the Christian, Christmas ought to be more than just a celebration. I'm all for celebrating Christmas, by the way. And I say that knowing full well that for many centuries, a lot of Christians refused to celebrate the birth of Christ. They didn't think it was a scriptural thing to do. It it, it certainly, we could find fault with it in the way that it has been used today by so many people, and, and the story has been polluted by so many false teachers, but I find no reason for us not to celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm all for that. But it's more than a celebration. It ought to be a time, a call for commitment on our part to carry out our commission. Just looking back and thanking God for what He has done for us is one thing, and God certainly is pleased with us praising Him and thanking Him for that. But God has expectations, and those expectations includes every child of God. And that is, He says to the Father, just as you sent me into the world, I'm going to send them into the world. And the matter is so important that when you get over to chapter 20, He repeats this. He didn't want them to forget it. He is reminding them of the same thing. And because of what Christ did, we ought to go to the whole world and preach the gospel just like He commanded us to do. If you look back in 
Mark chapter 3 and Luke chapter 6, you'll discover that was the very reason for which he called the apostles. By the way, the word apostle means a sent one. Someone sent there on a mission. And he called them for that purpose to preach the gospel to the whole world. Now, I understand that the ultimate goal in our life is to glorify God. There's no doubt about that. That's, what, that's why we exist. That is, our, the, that is the purpose of everything. It's the purpose of the heavens. It was the purpose of Israel. It's the purpose of the church. It's our purpose to glorify God. That's the ultimate purpose. But the immediate need is to carry out the commission. Because if it's our desire to glorify God, we can't do that if we're disobedient to the Word of God. We are made for a mission. In other words, those that have come to Him are to go for Him. God demonstrates His love by sending His Son. The Son demonstrated His love by laying down His life on the cross and also by sending his followers into the world. We wonder, now keep in mind, Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen to them. He had already given them warning. He had told them they're going to be hated and despised, and you actually ought to read this entire chapter. They're going to be hated, they're going to be despised, they'll even be put to death. And he says, I'm going to send you into the world nevertheless. And again we wonder, how could a God of love subject His own people to something like that? The answer to that is easy, because God so loved the world, and, and He's not willing that any should perish. And it was so important to Him that just as He Himself came into the world and died for our sins, He's willing to subject you and I to suffering and difficulties for the sake of getting the gospel to those that have never heard, those that will spend an eternity in hell unless they do. I want you to consider the reasons why we should commit ourselves to carrying out this commission that God has given us. First of all, it's a commission from Christ. You know, it would be one thing as the pastor of this church to get up here and say, you know, when God called me as the pastor of this church and whenever you duly elected me to be the pastor of the church, that carries with it certain authority. And uh, this is what we're going to do, whether you like it or lump it, you know, we're going to do this. I'm going to just ramrod everything through. Or, or I could get up here and say, you know, it's really my strong opinion that we do this or that we do that. And all of that would be meaningless unless there's Scripture to back up the statement. It's one thing for me to stand up here and tell you what you ought to do. But my authority as a pastor is very limited. I don't have authority over any other church. I, I have authority over my children. You know, I've got a right to tell them you ought to do this or you ought to do that. I don't have any authority over the neighbor's kids, right? I can't go down the street and, you know, dictating to them what they ought to do. 
But understand that when Christ speaks, we're talking about the one who has all authority in heaven and in earth. The King of kings, the Lord of lords. And we shouldn't need any other reason to go into the world with the gospel message other than the fact that our captain has spoken. We ought to obey. We ought to go and obey his command. We're to be messengers for the master. We're to be servants of, of the Savior. He tells us we're to be fishers of men. Seekers of souls. We're to be sowing the seed and then we harvest the fruit. We're to be watchmen that are to give warning to others. And dare we call ourselves Christians and then refuse to, to do as he, as he commands here? He says, I, I'm sending you out into the world. Oh, somebody could have spoken up and said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Lord, don't you remember what you said earlier about, about they're, they're going to hate us. They're going to throw rocks at us. They're going to, they're, they're going to do terrible things to us. Yeah, I know. And, and you expect us to go anyway? Yes, I do. You see, the Lord never said it would be easy. The Lord never said that if you become a Christian, you can prosper in all of the things of the world. Man, you can drive a Mercedes and you can live in a mansion and you'll never get sick and the whole prosperity gospel type nonsense that we hear so much about and the lord never said that he said just the opposite all of those that live godly in christ jesus shall suffer persecution and he is sending them to do exactly that i'm sending you on a mission and it's not going to be easy but the very fact that it's the Lord doing the sending makes all of the difference in the world. That's why he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? I don't think we, any of us have a right to claim to be Christians and to say that Jesus is our Lord if it's obvious that we have no concern about his will for our life. That's the exact thing that gives Christians a black eye and, you know, in the view of the world. Invite somebody to church and they say, oh, no, too many hypocrites down there. Well, there are. There are too many. One's too many. But we're not perfect. But, boy, we ought to do everything we can to please our Lord, even though it means subjecting ourselves to great difficulty. But there's another reason why we ought to obey this command. And that's the compulsion of a debt. And, and, and Paul mentions the fact over in Romans chapter number 1, he mentions the fact that he's a debtor to all. He is a debtor to all. You know, the Bible says, Unto whom much is given, of him shall much be required. And you look over in Acts chapter number 20 and verse 18 through 21 and other verses that allude to this fact that those that have received the gospel are indebted to share the gospel with others. Have you ever thought about being in debt to others? Oh, no, not me. I, I've got all my bills paid up. I mean, I'm called up. I don't, I don't owe Sears and Roebuck or Monkey Ward anything. I, I've got it all called up, and so all my bills are paid. Really? Really, what about those you rub shoulders with every day? What about those members of your family or those maybe in your neighborhood or people you work with or your classmates, those that, that you have never one time ever spoken to about Christ? 
Let me tell you, just as it is a crime not to pay your debts, and it is, by the way, you can be put in jail for that. But just as that is a crime, it is a sin for you and I to withhold from others what we have freely received of ourselves. I didn't do anything to deserve being able to hear the glorious gospel of Christ. I didn't even have to pay a, an entrance fee to get into the church. All I had to do was come in and sit down and just keep my mouth shut and sit there and listen and to hear the word of God. I didn't have anything to do with the saving of my soul. I didn't say, Lord, if you'll save me, I'll climb the highest mountain. I'll swim the widest sea. Lord, I'll do anything for you. I didn't have to do that because he already had taken care of it. He did it all. Jesus did it all. Amen. But because of the compulsion of a debt, you and I ought to be obedient to this commission that he's given us. But there's another reason, and that's the condition of sinners. You know, it seems to me like that a lot of times we Christians forget about what a horrible condition that we were in before before we receive Christ as our Savior. Think about that for a little while. I've often thought about that. I wonder where I would be. Well, probably be dead and in hell. But I might, I might be 80 years old and still the miserable jerk that I used to be, not caring about anybody but myself. I, I don't know exactly where I would be, but it wouldn't be good. Do you ever think about where you might be were it not for the fact that somebody told you about Jesus? Thank God they did. You know, we sometimes sing that song, People Need the Lord. But do we do anything about it? People need the Lord. And we get up, have the benediction and leave the building. Walk right past a hundred people during the course of the week and never tell them about Jesus. We sing rescue the perishing, but we, well, we just watch them drown. You know, the Bible is very clear that the natural man, the unsaved person, is without help. They're without hope. They're without God. Paul reminds us of that in Ephesians chapter number 2. They are lost and they need to be found. They're condemned. They need to be forgiven. They're blind and they need the light of the Word of God. They're bound. That is, they're enslaved and need to be set free. They're spiritually dead and they need life. They're miserable. They need joy. Their trouble need peace. They're helpless and they need hope. And yet the worst for them is yet to come. That, that, that's not the worst of it. For them to just live in that condition and die like a dog and go back to the dust of the earth would be one thing. Oh no, it gets far worse than that. Because they will be condemned to a devil's hell for eternity separated from God. And God forbid that we refuse to render aid to those that are in need. You know what that is? That's guilt by omission. In 1983, that was uh, four years before I, I came here, I read about it and uh, 
somewhere. In fact, I saved the article to use as an illustration. It, it happened in Texas City at a place called the Autumn Hills Nursing Home, 1983. And the grand jury found that the nursing home was guilty, and I quote now, this is what the headline said, murder by omission. And then they defined what it meant. They said it was defined as being neglect of duty that results in death. I wonder how many, I wonder how many Christians will be guilty of the sin of omission omitting our responsibility to tell others about Christ that results not just in physical death, but in spiritual damnation for eternity. But that's not the only reason. There's another reason, and that's the covenant to which you agreed. You know, those that are getting up in years like, like I am, you can remember when you walk in any Baptist church and you always saw two things. On one side, Brother Nolan, is that Brother Nolan? Is that, he knows what I'm talking about. You walk in there, and on one side, usually it was over on the right side, I think, there's what I call the scoreboard. That's the attendance board, give the size of the attendance and the offering. I remember telling the church, finally take that thing down, because I'd walk in and I'd look at it, and the attendance was down, I was down. If it was up, I was up. And I finally said, I don't want to see that anymore. Take it off the wall. But on the other side was the church covenant. Before I say anything else, let me apologize in neglecting my duty and my responsibility because we no longer do what we used to do, and that is when anybody joined the church, we gave them a copy of, the, you know, of our articles of faith so they'd know exactly what we believed and of our church covenant. And every Baptist church has a church covenant. They just... Uh, don't tell anybody about it, I guess. But I've neglected that. But this is what the church covenant says. We engage to seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances to be zealous in our efforts to advance the kingdom of our Savior. That is the covenant that we enter into together before God. At least we claim we do. Do we or do we not? I'll tell you one thing, if we claim that we have joined a church and bound ourselves to a covenant like that, we better take it serious because God does. And then that brings us to another reason we ought to obey this commission, and that's because of the consequences of disobedience. The consequences of disobedience. Over in Ezekiel chapter number 3, I want you to listen carefully. Ezekiel the prophet, and of course, his ministry was to the nation of Israel, and that's where God had sent him and the manner in which God was using him. And he says in verse 7, So thou, O son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt thou, thou shall hear the word of thy mouth. I, I'm in chapter 33, but chapter 3 says the same thing, basically. He says in verse number 8, When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, Thou shalt surely die if thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity. Now get this. But his blood will I require at thine hand. Can you imagine that? 
And in those days they had watchmen upon the wall that would look out looking for the enemy to attack the city. And it was their job to warn the citizens of that community. Just as that was their mission, we have a mission to warn those that are unsaved. But notice he said, if you fail to give warning to those people, their blood I'm going to require at your hand. Do you know every time that you and I refuse to take advantage of opportunities that God has given us, God is saying, I'm going to hold you responsible. The sin of omission. We, we don't think a lot about that nowadays, do we? You know, we've got this little list of sins. As, you know, as long as we don't do this and that, we don't commit this or commit that, you know, well, we're in pretty good shape. But God looking at the sins of omission as well. And this is a serious one. But there are more reasons. Also, the certainty of rewards. There are certain rewards now. Being able to know that God has used you to lead somebody to Christ and then seeing their joy and their peace, seeing how that their life was changed as a result of it, seeing the impact on a family from somebody. It might have been the, the father that was saved, and as a result of that, there was this total change, and all of a sudden, the, you, you could just see the difference it made in the family. What a blessing that is to know that you had a little part in that. That God used you as an instrument to share with them the gospel. But the the greatest reward comes later. You know, Daniel spoke about it in Daniel chapter number 12. Those, you know, that turn many to righteousness shall shine as the stars forever. The Bible speaks about the fact that we'll be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. Luke 14, verse 14. And then Paul, let it be known to the Thessalonians that he was wanting to win that crown of rejoicing. That crown of rejoicing. Who, who, who is it? I think it's Katie and Lexi that I believe it sings that song about, about those that witnessed and Tim sings one about, what's the name of that song, son? That, that when you're standing before the Lord and the Lord, all of a sudden somebody testifies that you, thank you for giving to the Lord. Wow. Can you imagine being there in heaven? Being there at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, that's not a place of condemnation. That's the place of rewards. The great white throne judgment is for those that are unsaved. The judgment seat of Christ is where God's people come before Him to give an account for the manner in which they've lived. It has nothing to do with their salvation. It has everything to do with their rewards. And I'm going to tell you that, that no doubt we might be surprised when we stand there and begin to realize here is someone that we witnessed to. Oh, they moved away. We didn't know anything about it. But ten years later, they trusted Christ as their Savior as a result of what they heard from us. That is a reward that ought to motivate you and I to do everything we can to bring people to Christ. Oh, we keep talking about how we want to change America. We want things to be so much better, and they need to be better. 
But the only way they get better is by the blood-bought way of the cross. That is the only way to change people. And the only way to change society is for people to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. But there's another reason. Over in John chapter number 4, verse number 34, here's the last reason. And that's this, the clock is ticking. Chapter 4 of John. And I want you to notice what the Lord says beginning in, I think, about verse 34. Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Don't you wish every Christian felt like that? He's saying the thing that really satisfies me, the thing that really makes me happy, the thing that I live for is to finish the work that the Father gave me. That ought to be our attitude. And then he says to his disciples, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Wow. So easy for us to say, you know, preacher, we live in in tough times and it's just really hard to reach people nowadays. Yes, it is. It's very difficult. Those of you that have been going on door-to-door visitation, just knocking on, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? It's very difficult. Very few people are receptive to what you have to say. They'd rather you not even come to their house. It's difficult. But boy, when there is an emergency, there ought to be an urgency about it. Man's need of Christ is more important than anything else. And because of that, we ought to never delay in declaring the gospel. That's what I mean when we talk about keeping first things first. Because the eternal destiny of people depends upon that. And we need to get busy. Workers in the field, get off of our seat and into the street, out there and among them, as it were. That's what he, the Lord is saying, as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. He's telling us, I expect you to enter into the world of other people. The famous missionary Robert Moffat said, we have all eternity to celebrate our victories but only one short hour before sunset to win them. Wow, think about that. Oh, so many times we think, well, I've still got a lot of time. And we just keep putting off the most important thing, which is our witness to others about Christ. Many years ago, I come across a little poem that I used to be able to remember remember all of it but I'd written it down in my Bible and every time I'd get a new Bible I'd transfer it to the other Bible and as you know my main Bible got destroyed in the flood and I've got Bev's Bible actually that I've been using but this is what it says could a mariner sit idle if he heard the drowning cry could a doctor sit in comfort just let his patients die Could a fireman sit idle, let men burn, and give no hand? Can you sit at ease in Zion with the world around you damned? Wow. We need to think about that. 
Oh, it's easy to talk about we're fundamental Bible-believing Baptists. We really stand for the truth. We really got it down pat. We know what we believe and why we believe it, and we're really proud of it. But do you ever tell anybody about Jesus? November the 23rd, 1996, there was an Ethiopian airliner that uh, was hijacked by three Ethiopians that insisted that the plane take them to Australia. Uh, well, that wasn't on the route. That's not you know where they wanted to go, but make a long story short, they began to run low on fuel. Ended up, they, the plane crashed in the Indian Ocean and it killed... See, there's a, it killed 125 of the 150 that was on board. But one of the passengers on board was a man by the name of Andrew Meekins. And Andrew was an elder in an evangelical church. Might not have agreed with it, just everything you and I would agree with as Baptists. But somebody that knew the Lord as his Savior... And when the captain announced what was going on, that it was likely that they were going to crash, they were running low on fuel, Andrew stood up, and he did his very best to try to comfort the passengers. And in doing so, he presented the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was honest with them, look, it looks like we're going to go down at sea. Chances are we won't survive. And he told him about Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. And then he urged the people to respond. Later on, after the crash, a surviving flight attendant that had witnessed all of this said that, that 20 people had received Christ as their Savior as a result of what he did. Now, I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know that any of us know what we would maybe do in a time of emergency like that. Might curl up in a fetal position and suck our thumb and cry ourselves to sleep, or might try to get out the emergency door. I, I don't know what we would do. But I know what he did. You know, he could have got busy saying, Look, I'm going to look around and see if there's any parachutes on this plane. Or, he could have got all of the pillows and everything and collected them and said, I'm going to make myself a, try to survive this hard landing. And he didn't do that. He just stood up, delivered the message, and died telling people about Jesus Christ. Urgency. That's what it's all about. I've never, ever been so aware of that as... When I got out of the hospital, I'll never forget that trip home in the ambulance. Got home at 9.59 that, that evening. And I was fit to be tied. And Brother Kenneth was following in the car behind the ambulance all of the way. They carried me in the house, put me in the bed, brought me home on hospice, and I couldn't walk or anything on my own. And, uh, but all through that, all that time, God was just... I, I, I had them to wheel the next day or something, I think it was. I had them to bring Bev in. She was in the other room. She was in worse condition than I've ever been in. And they bring her in there in the wheelchair. And I told her, honey, we need to talk. And so 
her and I alone there in the bedroom. And I shared with her what was on my heart, that what God was dealing with me about there on the hospital, and like I've already preached, you know, the Lord let me know very clearly that you've become so, so busy about preaching and everything else that I'd left Jesus. Oh, I was preaching about him, and I still said my prayers. I studied the Bible every day. I, I did all of that, but I, I just let myself get away from that close, intimate relationship with him. And it's so easy, folks, for us to get in that condition. But I'll tell you one thing. Whenever God put a lot of things on my heart, and that's why I keep talking about He pointed me in a direction. I know, I don't know how long I'm going to live, but I know when I die, I'll be going in a certain direction and praying that God, before I die, will help me to help this church which I think is the best church, greatest church anywhere in town, by the way. But boy, we're not where we need to be. And I'm praying that God will help me to, to get us where He wants us to be. It's not my aspiration for you. It's what I know God wants me to do and you to do, us to do. And there's an urgency about that for me now be real easy to preaching I could make it really easy I could preach the rest of my life and never study again I that that'd be easy after all of these years I that wouldn't be no problem but I'm trying to keep train on the track as it were and headed in the direction God wants us as a church to go and let me tell you we'll never be where he wants us to be until we are willing to do all we can do in carrying out the commission, the gospel message to the whole world. That's our response. Look, if we don't do it, who's going to do it? Nobody. Nobody. Father, help us this morning to examine ourselves Help us, Lord, to think about your exceeding greatness. The greatness of who you are as a person for which we praise you. The greatness, Lord, of, of what you've done for us. And we thank you for that. And I just pray this morning that you'll speak to each and every one of us that we'll determine in our heart that by your grace that we will not leave this place in the same condition that we were in when we entered the building. God, whether it's a giant leap that we need to take getting in your will or maybe it's just a nudge or a shove and maybe just a few inches. God, help us to be there. There where you want us to be doing what you've commanded us to do. And then, Heavenly Father, there are those here today, those that have never received Christ as their Savior, those that Christ died for. They came this morning. They didn't have any hope of going to heaven. It's not, it's not, Lord, that they didn't have any interest in religion. They just, they just realized that nothing seems to work. 
and they have a desire for the hope of help. And I pray today that they'll find that answer in you, that they'll receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I trust Him this morning. We beg you in Jesus' dear name. Amen. While we stand and as we sing together, would you come please?